Jerusalem. This is General Ike building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Professor Mohammed Dajani Dawoodi. Professor Dajani is a Palestinian scholar and peace activist. He is the co-founder of Wasatiya, an organization for the promotion of nonviolence and compromise. In 2014, he made global headlines for leading a group of Palestinian students on a tour of Auschwitz. Professor Dajani, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be on the show. Your family has been here in Jerusalem since 1529, since the reign of Suleiman the Magnificent. How did the Dajanis come to be in this city? Originally, uh, we were uh, from uh, the troops that went from Saudi Arabia all the way to Morocco. We settled in Morocco and then my great-great-grandfather, Sheikh Ahmed, Dajani uh, traveled to uh, to Palestine, and uh, he he was he was a Sufist, and he was appointed by the Caliph Suleiman al Qanuni, the lawmaker, uh, to be in the the uh, custodian of the King David II. He was in the army of Suleiman the Magnificent no, at the no, time? No, 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 no. He was just, uh, he was uh, living in Jerusalem and uh, there were uh, a lot of trouble regarding the uh, how to run the King David tomb because the Franciscans were in charge of it at the time as a monastery and uh, they were not allowing people from other religions and there were always problems about about that. So the caliph decided to resolve the problem, to select someone who is tolerant, who is moderate, to be in charge, so that he would allow people from all religions to come and pray there. And uh, there were a lot of pilgrims that would cross from there. And so he appointed Sheikh Ahmed Tajani to be the custodians and after him, his family. So pilgrims would come and stay there. It was like a, a near, there, there were nearby hostel and then they will be staying for free and they will be given food for free. And uh, after they finish their pilgrimage there, they will uh, go on their way. And you were born in Jerusalem yourself? I was born in Jerusalem back in 1946, two years before uh, the Palestinian uh, uh, Nakba in 1948, and uh, I was born here in Talbiya, not not far away from here. And uh, when the uh, conflict started in 47-48, my grandfather sent us to Egypt to stay with with his brother. And we came back after that, after the truce was signed in 1949. And uh, 
to find that we do not have a home in uh, West Jerusalem, but rather we have uh, been uh, uh, moved. We have been uh, uh, left to be and uh, left to go to Israel, and so that's where we uh, we lived for a few years in Israel. You uh, went to college first, at least uh, in Lebanon, and there you uh, joined Fatah. Yeah, I was at the American University of Beirut in Lebanon. And uh, before, uh, during the, in the mid-1960s, I joined the Arab Nationalist Movement, which called for Arab unity and uh, for the liberation of Palestine. And then I, uh, in 1967, as a result of the war, I joined Fatah. And between 1967 till 1975, and then after that, I decided I'd like to go and continue my studies uh, in the United States, which I left to the United States and uh, did an, a master's degree at Eastern Michigan University and did a PhD degree at the University of South Carolina in Columbia and a second PhD in University of Texas at Austin. Why did you decide to leave and go to America? There were lots of problems that uh, I faced and uh, I got disenchanted with the status of uh, what we are doing in uh, Lebanon because uh, I was against uh, the idea of uh, getting too involved in Lebanese politics which was what Fatah was doing at the time. They got too involved in Jordan and then they got too involved in Lebanon and so I decided this is uh, not uh, what I want. And how did that decision come for you to move into academia? I uh, actually needed um, a place to, for residency. And so I uh, traveled to the United States on the assumption of continuing my education. And so uh, I needed to remain uh, there and in order to stay there I had to find uh, I had either to get married or continue my education so I decided I will continue my education because all uh, the time I was thinking of coming back and that's why I don't want to be involved in marriage and uh, so I thought it will be better for me to continue to continue my education as much as I can until the opportunity comes that I will be able to go back. And so in 19, that's what happened uh, basically in 1985 that my father managed to get me a pardon from King Hussein and I went back to Jordan and there I established the uh, political science department at the Applied Science University and was the chair for five years. And then uh, also my family managed to get me a family reunion uh, permit to come back to Jerusalem. And I came back in 1993, but came back to settle in 1995. And that was the first time 
I come to Palestine, uh, to Jerusalem, uh, since 1968. Wow. It's a long time away. Yeah. And when you came back it initially, do you, do you recall how, how it felt for you? Yeah, it was actually, uh, it was uh, very difficult for me to acclimatize because uh, yeah, I'm, uh, all your life you, are, you have an enemy you are fighting and suddenly you are living among them as one of the citizens in the city where, or in any country where the enemy is there. And so uh, uh, it wasn't easy for me in the beginning, but eventually I learned to uh, overcome it. One of the stories that you've told about this time that was uh, very impactful for you is going to drive your father home from chemotherapy. Yeah, actually it was driving my father to the hospital, to the Ain Karim hospital, uh, to, to have his chemotherapy because he had cancer. And that was the reason that I was uh, given the uh, permit to come back. And uh, so it was uh, an awakening experience for me that I will be, I will be there and watch uh, the doctors, the nurses, the receptionists, everybody there, treating people uh, as patients and not who they are, where they come from, what is their religion, and. Uh, and then I noticed that there are many Palestinians uh, getting health care there. So I think that uh, this side of the other and awakened uh, the good in me about the other. You talk about this event uh, sort of from the outside in a sense, that is to say about the event itself, but what was it um, within you that you felt allowed you to stay open to experiencing that, to, to that shift? Because before I wasn't open at all, and I uh, stayed when I was teaching in South Carolina, in the foreign languages department, I was teaching Arabic, and next uh, next to me was the office of an Israeli who was teaching Hebrew, and uh, all that was separated us was the wall, and uh, but the door was on the side, and he I never thought of just uh, going entering his office and saying hi. So the wall separated us. And that's why I see this wall here. I see that wall and this wall that we have. And uh, I wasn't able to break into that wall that was in South Carolina. But I hope that here that we can break this wall that separates between our two communities. You uh, founded in 2007 with your brother Wasatiya, which is an organization for the promotion of nonviolence and compromise. That, what does the word itself mean, Wasatiya? Wasatiya is a word in linguistically speaking, means uh, center or middle, middle of the road or center of a circle. And uh, religiously speaking, means moderation, means uh, temperance, means justice means uh, uh, middle ground. The source of the word itself is from the Quran? Yeah, yeah. this word in um, the second surah of the Quran, the second chapter of the Quran, it is called Al-Baqarah Surah, the cow surah. 
and it is the biggest uh, surah in the Quran and it is composed of 286 verses. Verse 143, which comes exactly in the middle, uh, actually verse 142 before it says God will guide you to the right path. Verse 143 says, and God had created you a moderate nation, a temperate nation, a middle ground nation. So, and it is, verse 143 is exactly in the midst of the surah, which is composed of two at six verses. So there is a lot of symbolism there regarding also the meaning of the term. And uh, because the extremists in Islam claim that uh, there is no moderation in Islam, there is, you are either right or wrong. And they interpret this as saying that uh, not that uh, Muslims are middle, uh, middle ground people, tolerant people, but rather that Muslims are uh, middle between uh, Jews who killed prophets and the Christians who made their prophet a god. And so they interpret it in terms of uh, the two religions, two heavenly religions, rather than interpreting it uh, as, uh, as a general meaning, which is the religious meaning, uh, because Islam did not come to negate Judaism or Christianity, or did not come to replace Judaism and Christianity. It came in Arabia, where there was an what we call an age of ignorance, Asr al-Jahiliyyah. And uh, so Islam came to enlighten humanity. And uh, Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad came as a messenger to seal the mess messengers and to complete their uh, uh, their messages, but not to replace it. He didn't come to replace Judaism and Christianity as extremists claim, because if you see, read in the Quran, uh, it says uh, very clearly that uh, this is not uh, the message of uh, Islam to come and replace others. For instance, the Quran affirms in uh, Al-Imran Surah, uh, three, the verses 3 and 4, it says, It is he who sent down to thee, in truth, the book confirming what was before it, and he revealed the law of Moses and the gospel of Jesus before as a guide to mankind. And he said, and he sent down the criterion of judgment between right and wrong. So basically, so we are talking about uh, God sending different prophets uh, to, rela to relate to the people of his presence so that they may worship him and they may follow his uh, instructions to do good and to avoid evil. With the way it appears from that verse, it, it certainly does seem clear, but the position you're saying is not uh, uncontroversial in modern Islam, is it? And people uh, fail to realize that Muslims are more than one billion, uh, one billion uh, and 700 million people, but they listen 
to what 20,000 or 30,000 people who are extremists uh, explain what their own interpretation, which is a political interpretation of the Quran. Because um, in their interpretation, they claim that the Quran came to replace other religions and that Prophet Muhammad is not the seal of the prophets, but the only prophet. Yani that the others have uh, come with messages and they failed. So Muhammad was sent uh, in order uh, to replace because the, uh, the message was corrupted. And so he was sent with the true message, which is not true because this, is, uh, this contradicts what is said in the Quran that God makes no distinction between the various prophets that he had sent and uh, that uh, uh, God will be the judge whenever on judgment day in that in which we differ. So basically uh, Islam is not uh, a religion that um, supersedes other religions or is, is there to replace them but rather to fulfill the message of God. What, if you could uh, venture a guess, what percentage of Muslims would you say alive today would agree with that general principle? I think that the majority of Muslims would agree with that. It is not something, uh, yeah, and this is what the Quran says, and it's not, uh, and if you read the interpretation of the Quran, and for instance, uh, the Quran says, religion to God is Islam. The extremists would come and explain it to mean that Islam is better than other religions. While also the Quran says that Abraham was a Muslim and that Moses talked to his people and his people said, we are Muslim. And uh, Jesus talked to his disciples and the disciples said, we are Muslim. And so in this sense, uh, the to, uh, to explain the term uh, religion to God is Islam is wrong because other verses in the Quran makes it very clear that the term Islam there does not mean the Islamic faith but rather that uh, it means to surrender yourself to God, to worship God, to believe in God and in this way it is an inclusive term in the sense that it includes Christianity and Judaism, while the other term, it excludes, if you take it in isolation, then it excludes Christians, uh, Christians and uh, Jews. Uh, but that's not the message of the Quran. So, yeah, and for instance, like in the Quran, it says, uh, uh, don't pray. And then people say, oh, the Quran says, don't pray. But they don't complete that sentence of saying, when you are drunk. And so a lot of any things are like that. You interpret uh, some of the verses in isolation of the whole text. And so you come up with a totally different meaning than what the, what the text intended. And that's part of the problem that we face today, that the extremists have uh, taken the text out of context and they try to... And the media focuses on them and uh, the moderates in general do not speak out 
and as a result the stereotype image of Muslims uh, is exemplified in the extremists who try to because they have the advantage of being vocal and being, because the media covers their actions and their activities and, and also because this is what people want to hear in the sense that uh, uh, Samuel Huntington talked about uh, the Judeo-Christian uh, front against the Islamic front and as a result he created, he incited against Islam and created uh, this image that Islam is evil and that Islam uh, is not part of the Abrahamic faith that uh, calls for the three religions to be part, uh, part and one. And uh, so he claims that uh, Islam, culturally speaking, is not the same like Christian Judaism, which it doesn't need to be. At the same time, as if the values are different. While the values are not different, because if you uh, see, for instance, uh, the Ten Commandments, and then apply the Ten Commandments, which Moses received from God, to all religions, whether it is uh, Christianity, uh, Islam, or uh, non-heavenly religions, Buddhism and others, you will tend to see that all the values are the same. They all say, don't lie, don't kill, don't uh, commit uh, adultery. And so none of them do say kill and steal and lie. And, and so in this way we have shared values among all religions. And uh, so it is um, our role to promote those values and not to try to build up uh, the differences because God is clear about that in saying that he will judge between us in that in which we differ. When you say that this is an issue with a uh, small but very vocal group within Islam, do you see this as a relatively new phenomenon or is a problem that's been there for a while? No, no it is a problem that existed since uh, Prophet Muhammad died because uh, each started to uh, have uh, to imp try to impose their own interpretation on others and uh, though the uh, Quran is the same and uh, the text has not changed at all since the Prophet uh, revealed it um, uh, as, um, and so uh, in that sense uh, people cannot play with the text so they play with the interpretation and uh, while, the, while the Quran is the major source, core source of Islam, we tend to find that also there is the uh, Sunnah, which is the Hadith and sayings and uh, uh, practices and behavior of the Prophet. So there you tend to find a lot of uh, fabricated Hadith has been entered because it wasn't collected during the times of the Prophet, but 150 years later, because the Prophet didn't want to collect the Hadith during his life uh, in order that it does not get mixed mm, with the uh, Quran. And uh, he also so uh, did not want the Hadith to be as if it is complementing the Quran, mm -hmm. because the Quran 
Muslims believe is uh, complete because it is the word it is the words of God, and as such, it cannot be uh, insufficient or deficient, and to be uh, complemented by word of man who is the prophet, and the Quran calls the prophet a man that he is just a messenger in various verses, and so that's why it is so important for Muslims first to be able to understand uh, the message of Islam as is, uh, as, uh, as has been revealed, and uh, from there to, to learn and uh, to avoid uh, having different dieties. Do you feel like there is a lack in, in terms of dialogue between Muslims and Jews and Muslims and Christians in today's world? Definitely, I do strongly feel that. I think it is basically education and knowledge about the other. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I didn't know, I don't know much about uh, Judaism or even Christianity. What what are the values? Uh, what are the texts? What does all there is to know about it? Uh, and I'm sure that uh, many Muslims as uh, do not know about the other and there are many Christians and Jews who do not know about Islam much about Islam and they hear a lot of times sometime when I'm giving uh, talks or lectures someone will stand up and say that uh, Islam attacks Judaism is anti-Semitic and uh, incites against the other and once I was uh, uh, invited to speak at the Hebrew University and the professor before me said was arguing to, it was a conference about anti-Semitism and the professor before me was arguing that, that the Quran is anti-Semitic and that it describes Jews as uh, uh, monkeys and apes and uh, swine and uh, so when I was before I started my lecture, I said that I don't think, I, and the Quran does not have anti-Semitic uh, verses within it, and that uh, I disagree with my colleague who said that it is anti-Semitic, and that on the contrary, there are many verses in the Quran which are very, compl compl that complements uh, Judaism and others. And he got upset and left uh, the hole and uh, then he came back with uh, the Quran and say allow me uh, to read from the Quran and then he read that uh, this verse there are two verses actually this is also in Al-Baqarah isn't it huh? this particular instance the the, the, the famous apes and pigs line it's, yeah. from, a, it's from a particular story in Al-Baqarah yeah it, uh, it says and God has punished the hmm. Sabbath breakers by turning them into uh, apes and swine. But, uh, you know, the, the thing is that in the Talmud or also in the Ten Commandments, people are warned not to uh, uh, break the Sabbath. And uh, so it is a punishment. It is not, and it is not generic, and it is not about all Jews. It says those who 
disobeying yani God yani in the sense that those who break the Sabbath. And so in that sense, it cannot be described as uh, to include all Jews or all Muslims or Christians because you can also uh, apply that to other religions, not only uh, Judaism. And so in that sense, there are many instances where people carry this and uh, without knowledge and without reading the Quran and without knowing the original text, what it says, and keep saying that there isn't. Like, for instance, I all the time was uh, never into, never entered the um, Jerusalem Museum at the Citadel here in Jaffa Gate because I always felt that, I always thought and I was told that it denies Islamic uh, history in Jerusalem until I was challenged to go in and see for myself. So I went in and saw that it does mention uh, Islamic history in Jerusalem. So basically we tend to uh, uh, have some stereotype images and if we are close-minded, we refuse to change our mind when new data comes in. And, uh, but if we are open-minded, then when we know the truth or we, when we know we are wrong or when we know uh, when we get a, uh, an information that changes that image we had, negative image we had, then we should apply that uh, information. Do you have any recommendations for someone who perhaps doesn't know much about Islam and wants to know more? I think that on, bo on both sides that uh, Muslims should learn about Judaism and uh, that uh, uh, Jews should learn about Islam and uh, the uh, Quran is one source but also that uh, they should be open to check for themselves whenever they hear something and to go back to the original text and do it and that's why we have uh, been working on establishing a university that would uh, have uh, would teach interfaith dialogue in our uh, reconciliation, empathy for the other, and in this way we we would like to call it Peace University, and uh, in it different people from different uh, uh, religions could come in and learn about the other. And, learn, and then discuss uh, the religion of the other. And uh, maybe this way we can create uh, multipliers in the sense that uh, within our community we fail to have uh, people who are specialists in reconciliation or in peace or in conflict resolution. And maybe something like this would help to bring teachers in the classrooms, particularly religious, uh, classrooms and uh, teach, teaching the kids from when they are very young about the true religion of uh, which God sent, whether it is Judaism, Christianity or Islam. Let's uh, change tack here for a while. In 2014, as part of uh, these efforts to, to, towards reconciliation, you led a group of Palestinian students on a tour of Auschwitz. Yes. And you'd previously been there uh, with a tour of religious leaders. 
what was the what was the situation like when you went? What was that like for you, the first time? To me, when I, actually I went in two eleven, mm-hmm. and uh, it was February two eleven, and I was invited to go by a French organization called LID, and uh, I came from a background which denies the Holocaust and which uh, emphasizes that the Holocaust is a Zionist narrative and it is propaganda and it is used uh, to promote uh, uh, empathy with Jews and to be um, uh, to rationalize why uh, Israel was created and established at the expense of the Palestinians and so from here it was uh, uh, coming from that culture which uh, figured that even if something like a small massacre happened, there are so many other massacres happened in, uh, in that war, during Second World War. And so, and that the Russians lost 20 million people, different people lost, the Polish, everybody lost in that war. So why the Jews? So going there and uh, learning about the Holocaust firsthand, I think it was a very open experience for me uh, to be awakened uh, to the truth of... uh, So I came to believe that it is immoral to deny the Holocaust and that historically speaking, it is also factually wrong to deny the Holocaust. And uh, we have to realize that also that the Holocaust is not only a Jewish concern, but rather also a human concern. And there, if uh, there were more than 10 million uh, victims in the Holocaust, six of those, six million of those were Jews, but there were also four million who were not Jews, who were not Jews. And so uh, being awakened to this human tragedy in uh, uh, our uh, history then made me want to become to not to remain silent about it and uh, so I authored with two colleagues Martin Rao and Zainab Arakat a book about the Holocaust in Arabic and we published it Uh, and then we uh, uh, we, I also co-authored an article with uh, Dr. Robert Satloff, which t- the title of which was Why Should Palestinians Learn About the Holocaust? And uh, Palestinians at the time were someone, somewhat upset. It was published in English in the New York Times and the International Herald Tribune, so not many people did read it. But those who read it felt it should have that I should have written why should the Israelis learn about the Nakba, not the Holocaust. And everybody used to keep uh, coming back at me saying, why are you concerned about the Holocaust? Why don't you talk about the Nakba? This is your tragedy. And I thought that it is true that my Nakba is important, but also the Holocaust is important and we should not uh, just uh, shove it aside and because that's what we are doing because of the conflict. And the political conflict between the Arabs and the Muslim world and Israel 
has turned into a conflict between Islam and Judaism. And in this way, if um, uh, the suffering of the Jews should not be counted because they are our enemies, which is not true. Yeah? And this is not uh, the way things should be because uh, and I should show empathy for Jews for what happened uh, at uh, uh, during the Holocaust and for any you know, as a part of uh, humanity and not ignore it only because there is a conflict between us and in this way uh, I believe that's what should one do and when people tell me that you are talking about teaching the Holocaust to Palestinians while at the same time the Israelis are uh, forbidding their schools to teach the Nakba. To me, my answer is simple. I say, I'm doing the right thing. If they are not doing the right thing, that's their business. But I'm doing the right thing, what I believe to be the right thing. And that's why I, I will teach about the Nakba and I will teach about the Holocaust. And I will not make a distinction that uh, because the Nakba is uh, personal to me, that uh, I should ignore the Holocaust because it is the suffering of my enemy. So you're teaching the Holocaust in some sense uh, reached a crescendo with this trip in 2014 where you took Palestinian students from Al-Quds University to visit Auschwitz. What was, what was it like for you leading up to that? What was, what was the moment of inspiration? How did that develop? It developed through uh, a project trilateral project between Germans, Israelis, and Palestinians. And uh, uh, there were uh, three, uh, four universities involved in that project, uh, Frederick Schiller University in Vienna, Germany, Tel Aviv University here in Israel, and Ben-Gurion University, and Al-Quds University. Later, when, uh, as a result of the war in Gaza, uh, Al-Quds University withdrew from joint projects. And so this uh, project was left to me as a professor because I was given the choice whether to leave the project or withdraw from the project as the university did or remain on the project but on my own responsibility, which I did. And the idea was to study empathy and to see uh, what is the role or impact of empathy on the other? If we take Palestinian students to Auschwitz to see the suffering of the Jews, and if we take Israeli students to the to a refugee, 1948 refugee camp and have them speak to refugees from 1948, what impact does those two episodes have on reconciliation uh, between two enemies or between the two enemies and so that was the idea and uh, so as we started to announce by word of mouth that we are uh, this is what we are planning the uh, uh, university got wind of it and the president of the university wrote me an email saying I heard rumors that you are taking uh, students to Auschwitz and I would like to ask you that you explain to them that this is not a university activity 
and that uh, uh, you are doing it on your own with your own organization, the Wasatiya organization. And uh, so I wrote him back telling him that that was the case, that uh, the students are aware that this is not a university activity. Although uh, it is part of the university message, uh, which is knowledge and uh, seeking knowledge. Also it's part of the Islamic knowledge, uh, Islamic message of the Quran, which says that uh, uh, and say God advance me in knowledge in one verse or says in the another in a, another verse it says that uh, those who are learned and th those who are without learning are not of equal status in the face of God and so that's part of it and then one of my students came to me and uh, warned me he said uh, that um, people would like to, there are people outside, political parties and others, and they are insisting on you not to go to Auschwitz and not to take the students there uh, because this is normalization and this is adopting the narrative of the other. This is not our stand. And, uh, and so I uh, said that we have arranged for the trip and that we will go ahead and do the trip. And this is education and it's not politics. Although it is a taboo topic in Palestine, but it's time to challenge this taboo because it doesn't help us to uh, keep the same tradition you know, when we are talking about peace and reconciliation, uh, which and this brings empathy with the other. So we went, and students were shocked to see and to learn and to actually uh, hear what has happened. And we wrote some of their uh, uh, impressions in, in our book that we published about the trip. And uh, the thing is, it, to them, it was totally new information and uh, it was an awakening and people would say yeah, for instance one of the students uh, came to me and said what does it mean to the sign on the entrance of the gates saying Arbeit macht frei that the word sets you free and uh, does is this a concentration camp or is it a death camp and so I I said to her, go and find out for yourself. So she went and bought a book from the bookstore there, which said that, uh, which quoted the commander of the camp as saying, all you who enter here abandon hope, for the only way out is through the chimneys of the crematorium. So she did realize, although she had been imprisoned in Israel, that this is a totally different experience than her experience. And uh, so another student, when uh, he went back and was asked about the trip, he said that this trip did not make me less nationalistic, but made me more humanistic. And so in that sense, there were uh, students learned uh, from the trip. And when we, the, the day before, 
we left Auschwitz. Uh, Haaretz published an article about the trip. And in Haaretz, the article said uh, that uh, by Kilman that uh, the, the trip was facilitated by a German university and sponsored and funded by a German research institute and that it is a double track trip one for Palestinians going to Auschwitz and the other for Israelis going to a refugee camp. However, when the article was the next day published, translated and published in Al-Quds newspaper uh, online, uh, it avoided to mention that there was a reciprocity, that Palestinians went to Auschwitz and Israelis went to uh, the refugee camp, it only said that Palestinian, that a professor took Palestinian students to Auschwitz. At the same time, it said that the trip was sponsored by Israeli universities and that uh, the funding was coming from a Zionist organization. So it gave it a totally political uh, flavor. And uh, at the university, the president of the university was under a lot, much pressure. And from student uh, organizations or uh, from, from student organizations or from academics? No, no, neither from either, from outside, from political parties outside. From Palestinian political parties? Palestinian political parties, yes. Okay. And, uh, and so um, the uh, syndicate at the university, the workers and employees, uh, and faculty syndicate issued a statement firing them, firing me from the membership of the syndicate and publishing it publicly. And you weren't even a member and of the I, I was not even a member, yes. I, I, don't, I didn't want to be a member because I didn't believe that you, have, you can mix between the faculty and the workers and the employees that each should have their own uh, faculty syndicate or union because we have different uh, uh, interests and different backgrounds. It reminds me of the, the uh, Groucho Marx joke. I wouldn't be a member of any club that would have me. <laughs> no, I, they would have me, but I wouldn't want to be a member of that There's club. a kind of inversion here. So even though you didn't join, they still fired you. Yes, yes. Fantastic. That's part of Because I believe that they wanted to start a big issue about and so it was picked up on the social media, uh, whether the article in Atarkot's newspaper or what happened at the university. Every action that the professor, that this union and our syndicate fired the professor, so he is a traitor and they fired him. And this became a big deal amongst the students, didn't it? Yeah, uh, it did. Uh, it did among the faculty and among and also then, and this, but it was not an isolated uh, incident because it was followed by the university saying that uh, this trip we have nothing to do with. It. And so this statement by the university also did hurt me a lot because it made me look as if I did something wrong. And then the nine student unions were uh, issued also as uh, a statement saying that um, 
uh, normalization is treason and accusing me of being the uh, uh, leading this normalization and as such being and he accused me of treason. Normalization meaning interacting yeah. with Israeli and Zionist organizations? Yeah. No, no, it's like it just normalization would mean any association with Israelis. Simple. Any association any with Israelis? Any association, yeah. yeah wow. Whether it's academic, whether it is buying merchandise, buying goods, going to a supermarket, having coffee in an Israeli uh, coffee shop, anything related to an activity with Israeli that whether it is uh, uh, to go and have uh, even a coffee with an Israeli or to buy from an Israeli or so they call it any any such activity is called normalization. And so so this, this piece, Normalization is Treason, it was published by the student unions within Al-Quds University. Yeah. And, uh, and so all this, and then the students were incited for demonstrations and they de demonstrated in, on campus against me and uh, they went uh, to my office, they uh, leaving me their threat uh, letters. Did you feel afraid at the time? Uh, I did, but I don't believe in being in fear. And I think that uh, I, I believe that Whatever is uh, uh, your destiny, it will be your destiny. So it is not. But I, I, I wouldn't go to the university, and actually, that's why I tendered my resignation, saying I cannot teach without having an academic in, uh, freedom environment. And so the president asked me to meet of our post university. Asked me to meet with them, and I did. And he asked me about the resignation, which were, and I explained it is because uh, the university uh, did not support my position, and uh, there is all this uh, 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 enmity feeling on campus, and uh, how can how will I be able to teach within this environment? And uh, so he said that uh, he would put security guards whenever I'm on campus, in order to protect me. And I said, I don't want security guards. I want you to issue a statement saying what I did was not uh, wrong, that I what I did was exactly uh, within my responsibility as a teacher to uh, teach truth to the students, or at least I'm taking them to somewhere uh, to where the Holocaust happened, or partly, and yeah, uh, one of the camps of the Holocaust, so that they could learn about themselves, and particularly that we did have similar things done with our students. And uh, for instance, a few years before that, I took my students to a conference in Antalya to attend the Peace Education Conference in Antalya, Turkey. I used to take for three years in a row our students uh, with Tel Aviv students to Oberlin College in Ohio where they will stay two weeks there together and learn together uh, and do projects together and then go visit uh, uh, 
historic places and people and meet people in Washington for a week and come back. So a trip a, to Turkey or a trip to America, that was okay, but when you took the, the students to Germany, that was too much for the university and they refused to support you in that. Yes, yes. That, that, that was part of the problem. Also, that they did consider that when Hamas used to do demonstrations on campus and Brandeis University criticized that, they issued a statement saying that this is freedom and democracy and uh, academic freedom and, and democracy. Who issued that statement? And the university, Al-Quds University. When, hang on, Hamas demonstrated when, where? On, uh, when Hamas used to demonstrate. On Brandeis campuses? No, on Al-Quds University campus. Right. When Hamas used to demonstrate on their anniversaries or uh, to celebrate something, they will come with or the fatigue and with the weapons and everything, and they will demonstrate uh, at uh, on campus at the university, Al Quds University, and uh, the then you know, once Brandeis University because they had uh, collaboration with Al Quds University uh, protested that, and the uh, uh, the response from the president of the Al-Quds University was that this is academic freedom and we all should respect it. But when this happened, when the visit to Auschwitz did happen and all this uh, uh, uproar did take place, nobody said, the university issued a statement saying we don't have anything to do with it, not a statement saying that this is academic freedom and this is that they support this academic freedom. So here, you had two standards yani, that was used to judge first demonstration on campus from a political organization which is uh, extremist in its ideology and uh, a trip to Auschwitz to learn about what did happen there. The blowback really reached a crescendo for you personally uh, in an attack on your car. Yes. Uh, yeah, that happened. The, there were uh, uh, rumors, which were true, that there would be a second trip and a third trip. You were planning a second and yes, third trip? Yes, yes. Uh, and so, uh, because I was asked about it, and I said that if I, I would have the chance, I would do another trip. And we were planning for another trip when, uh, when my car was torched. I was, um, uh, at the time, coming back from a conference in Rome and uh, my brother told me that he noticed that few days before uh, my comeback that there was ago, which is, uh, it is the glue for wood that was spread over the hood of the car and that he took it to uh, uh, a mechanic and he cleaned the uh, he cleaned the ago from the from the hood but they both of them did not realize that the chemicals coming from the ago was clutching the all the uh, wiring within the car uh, under the hood and so luckily speaking usually when you drive the car and, and in this shape, then it explodes. 
And so uh, it didn't explode because it was snowing at the time and it didn't get very hot, so it didn't explode. And uh, then at night, at 11, my brother picked me from the airport and then uh, we were home by 8 in the evening. And by 11, people who were watching the house realized I was in the house. Uh, I was back from Rome. And so they came uh, at night and torched the car. And the car kept actually burning for more than three hours. And uh, we were told that the reason is, is that it was full of uh, it was full of chemicals you know, within the motor and the and uh, I noticed that um, on the floor that there were gasoline under the car, so that people coming to put off the fire might be caught in that gasoline on the on the floor. Horrible. And so that was. Uh, did that did that knock you off your stride for a while? Not any, uh, not for uh, fear of life, as if uh, as much as for uh, feeling that uh, dismayed, discouraged, and I think there was a lot of despair in me about what has happened. That you know, when you want to teach, you want to educate your people when you want to open the eyes of the blind that with knowledge that this is what happens. This is the... And so uh, I, I felt that I have spent all my life uh, for uh, to promote the Palestinian cause at the same time to end the occupation and to uh, fight for Palestinian human rights and uh, and so, and also later, I have dedicated myself to teaching. Uh, I could have stayed in the United States and uh, have joined the university there, and I would have been paid three, four times much more and would have lived a much better life than I did. Yet, I decided to come back and, in order to make my people benefit from my learning and my experience and my skills. Yet I felt that this was the way I was rewarded. So there was a lot of disenchantment uh, in in uh, in my identity. It made me question even my identity. Do you feel like that disenchantment still has uh, reverberations for you today, or do you feel like that's something you've moved through already? I, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't moved through it. I would like to move through it, and I. I try to move through it. I try to keep it behind me, but it keeps jumping at me. And uh, many till now, when I uh, meet Palestinians, uh, uh, they will uh, uh, try to criticize me for doing this or try to uh, make comments about it. And uh, they don't want to listen and they don't want to understand the motivations behind what I did and why I did it, simply because of the political situation today and doesn't help what is happening on the ground hmm. and doesn't help at all. Do you feel like there's something that when you focus on it that really helps you move through this? Is there some bright star for you? Yeah, because I feel that uh, 
It motivates me to move on with the promotion of moderation because I feel it is like a cycle. You start with moderation. Moderation ushers in reconciliation. Reconciliation ushers in uh, negotiations, conflict resolution. And then post that, you will have democracy, prosperity, coexistence, peace. And uh, so I see it like a cycle from that in which we have to go through every stage because you cannot talk uh, reconciliation which is stage two if you did not pass uh, if you did not pass from, uh, through stage one which is moderation reconciliation will not happen between two, two extremists it will only happen if they will adopt moderate positions and that's why I believe that we should start with uh, moderation. Where do you feel like the where do you feel like the Israelis and the Palestinians are collectively on that on that uh, four point model? I believe that uh, the Israelis in general and the Palestinians in general are in the middle are moderates, but on the both sides there are extremists who are pulling the moderates and trying to incite the conflict in order moderates will support them. And this is very clear with the Palestinian side, for instance, that in 1996 when the elections took place, the moderate, the centrist moderate voted for Fatah. In 2006, 10 years later, the centrist moderate who were dismayed with Fatah, voted for Hamas. Now the centrist uh, is dismayed from both. One, for the uh, uh, impression of the people that there is a lot of corruption, and on the other side, with the Hamas side, that there is a lot of extremism. And so I believe it, the people in the, mother, in the middle uh, who who are the majority, are not taking any action only because they, uh, there is no alternative, third alternative. And that's where we feel that the Wasatiya could one day become that third alternative. While on the other side, with the uh, Israeli side, the majority, I feel, are for peace and for our moderate. Yet, there is a vocal minority who has taken over the political system and who uh, claims to be speaking in the name of Israel and in the name of all the Israeli people as if they are one unity. And, uh, and whenever, in Francis, we can uh, remember what Netanyahu did during the elections about uh, the hordes of Arabs voting in order to push the Israelis to go the, to the uh, polls and order to, to the booths to vote. This is when uh, Netanyahu sent out text messages saying yeah. Arabs are showing up in buses to vote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a way of inciting nationalist Israeli yeah, sentiments? Yeah, yeah, And that's part of the problem. Because they do that either through this way or fear of the other. So they uh, exaggerate what is happening on the ground in order to uh, create 
this environment of fear of the other mm. and that there are no moderates among the other, on both sides. And Palestinians now are convinced there are no moderates among Israelis who want peace or there is no peace camp. And the Israelis also believe there are no moderates among the Palestinians, there is no peace camp. And so this is where both of them uh, are feeding from each other in the radicals. And uh, so our work is to strengthen the front and the middle in order that the people in the middle will come to be more vocal in their activities and in their not uh, in taking a stand and believing in peace and wanting to work for peace. And uh, I think there are now rising a lot of um, uh, organizations that uh, are working. For instance, there is the March of Women for Peace, which was uh, which took place tw for two, two times and it left a big impression uh, that people want peace. This is what people want. And I do put my faith in women that, like in Liberia, uh, what happened in Liberia, that the woman did take a stand and did actually manage to succeed uh, to overthrow uh, the dictatorship there. Professor Dejani, what is your vision of a better Jerusalem? I believe that Jerusalem is composed of two cities. One is the religious city and one is the municipal city. The uh, Ottomans did us the favor of uh, building a wall around the religious city, which is, if you go to the holy books, all the holy books refer to, when, when in reference of, when they refer to Jerusalem, they refer to the old city because there are where the holy places uh, exist and for instance whether it is the wailing wall whether it is the holy sepulcher or whether it is uh, the dome of the rock and the haram sharif or even anywhere the temple where Jews believe the temple has been built so it is all within the walls of the old city outside the city if you look at uh, paintings of Jerusalem in the late 19th uh, uh, century you tend to find that outside the city there was nothing. So all the that has been developed outside the city was done later by different municipalities of the city. And uh, so particularly in the last 50 years or 100 years. And so I believe the old city should be, should be the city of God and should have a special status about it where Muslims, Christians and Jews could work together uh, there uh, to leave it to be a city open, an open city for everybody to come in and pray. And uh, maybe you can hire uh, a company that will take care of the garbage and the water system and the electricity within, within that uh, block within that, that uh, area. Outside the city, you will tend to find that uh, on the ground, there are two people, two communities. There is the Jewish community living in West Jerusalem, and there is the Arab community living 
in East Jerusalem. So I feel that this has no no religious value to anyone. Yani outside the city, the municipal city. You don't even You mean the city beyond the old city has no intrinsic religious value? It doesn't have any religious uh, significance for Muslims, Christians or Jews. The attachment for all Muslims, Christians and Jews is for the old city. And so since this is a municipal city and this is in a secular area, not a religious area. So one can easily, without putting any fences and keeping it unified, could identify that one is Arab and one is Jewish. Without this terminology of sovereignty and of all that, because in that sense, uh, these terms have been created in the 18th and 19th century and millions of people died to defend one or the other but uh, they don't we don't need them today in this globalized world and uh, we don't need to put borders like I crossed from Germany to France and uh, when I was crossing where the border was the driver was saying the border was here and it is two countries and uh, that border didn't make any any significance anymore today and people you know, will live on both sides of that border so that's what I feel that needs to be done here that um, like what happened with the Israelis if you see that the Knesset which is the center of power for Israel and the government is not in the old city but outside the old city and uh, very far even from the whole city. So I guess that a Palestinian could include in a neighborhood like Beit Hanina, Abu Dis, other areas, could include the, there is already built a legislative council in Abu Dis. That was the idea, is to have the Palestinian legislative council there. And uh, I don't believe in and making Jerusalem a political entity in that sense. I think that if we can manage to keep it uh, without politicization, that will be much better for Jerusalem and making it a model for like the Vatican. It could be an enclave within the area and uh, having it as a model uh, a small model of a city where there is coexistence and peace and tolerance, then this model could apply to the to the uh, two states as a whole, which and we can start with two states and maybe eventually move on to a federal state or a kind of uh, confederacy or federalism that could uh, make people, because the more important, I believe, is the human being not the land, not the stone, but rather the human being. So we need to improve the life of the human being by making peace and having coexistence, rather than with this conflict and war that is a cycle that uh, is not ending. Professor Dejani, thank you so much thank for coming you. out here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much and hope all the best.
with thanks to Perrin Walker and Daniel Kenny. This is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.